Our scripture reading for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You, would, you may not be thinking this is a Christmas passage. You may have heard this numerous times at weddings, uh, celebrating the love between a man and a woman. And to be fair, that, that's how it's commonly used in our culture and even in our churches. But even then, I would want to say that weddings are themselves borrowing from the template of the marriage between Christ and the church. It's always been that way. The ceremony itself, going back for centuries, is borrowing Christian themes that are taught to us in Scripture. But if anything, we want to be careful of not diluting love as merely seeing it something that is about romance. But love is a Christian virtue, and maybe most pointedly at Christmas. So if you have your notes or your Bible uh, from the ESV, I'm reading from page 959, but the text is in your notes. I'm going to read the text together, and we'll pray, and then we'll talk about love and faith and hope as the virtues of Christmas. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says these words, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, open up our eyes and our hearts that we may see and understand the wondrous things of your word. Teach us this morning about the virtues of Christmas. Help us to see how Christmas guides us to deepen ourselves in faith and hope and love and to emulate especially love as a trait that matches God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was reading those verses to you, what were you thinking about? 
Were you thinking about when you'd heard them read at a wedding or some ceremony? Were you thinking about maybe in verse 4 about that as a definition of what love is? Were you comparing yourself to that definition? Were you thinking in those earlier verses, like in 2 and 3, about serious sacrifice and maybe some form of philanthropy that without love is repeatedly stated as nothing, that our motivation matters? What were you thinking about? At least for me, this week as I reflected on this text, I thought about Jesus. Look again at verse 4 with me. And think about the life of Jesus as told in the four Gospels. Love is patient and kind. How many times was he patient to these annoying, know-it-all disciples? How many times was he patient with these religious leaders and their questions? Never rude, but kind. Love does not envy or boast. How many times did he defer from himself, reflecting everything back to God the Father? It's not arrogant or rude. How about verse 5? It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. How easily could Christ have been irritated and irritable? throughout his life and ministry. How about six? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Think of Christ on the cross. How foolish. They were crucifying the Savior. The only innocent person on the planet was the one they declared guilty. Talk about wrongdoing. Talk about injustice. But he never never rubbed it in their faces as Arguably, I would have done, or maybe you. He actually said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is love. Like, we miss that. We're kind of blown away by it. Or maybe as we're reading that account in the Gospel of Luke where that statement is made, we're just, just overwhelmed by the sacrifice of Christ. We're missing, though, that in the midst of the crucifixion, he never steered away from love. Does not rejoice, verse 6 says. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then listen to verse 7. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. Brothers and sisters, that is Christ. So I get full well that this is a beautiful passage to tell a very nervous bride and a very sweating groom in a very nicely dressed moment in the beginning of their marriage, that this is what their marriage is to look like. Very good. But to be fair, it is a wonderful thing to hear on other days besides your wedding day, when, to be honest with you, that bride and groom is probably not hearing a thing. But maybe, just maybe, right at Christmas time, when we think about the coming of true love, the gift of love from God the Father and the gift of His Son, A life of love, of sacrifice, of endurance, not of boasting, not of irritability, but of sacrifice. That's what Christmas is about. 
See, this is a Christmas text. And Christians have long noted what's stated in verse 13. You see those, that verse there, the very end of our text today? After defining love and speaking about things that will be temporary versus eternal, the Apostle Paul ends with this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 lists what are called the three theological virtues of the Christian faith. Theological can be a big word. We've got to get past that being a big word. For too many generations, that's been a big word. That just means about what is true about God. They're, they're connected to God. Literally since the second or third century, these three virtues have been promoted, have been taught on, have, have, been, have been listed as something to strive for in our individual Christian lives and as the collective church, that we should be people marked by, having, having literally the traits of faith, hope, and love. Is, is that how you're known at work, in school? Is that how you're known by your neighbors? That is a man or a woman, a family of faith, of hope, and of love. They're theological virtues because they have God as their object. It's not just a personal trait. Like these are things you can't do on your own. You don't have faith in yourself. You have faith in God. You don't have hope in yourself or in some other worldly system. You have hope in God. And even love is ultimately a love that is driven by the kind of love you have experienced in God. That is why literally, brothers and sisters, for two millennia, these are the virtues that Christians have sought after the most. More than humility, more than discipline, work ethic, all the kind of other virtues or traits of behavior that are worthy and honorable and beneficial. As good as those are, these are the three. If you could pick for your kids or grandkids that they would have, they would be known for, that they would, they, they would literally kind of emulate faith, hope, and love, you would be very blessed, parents and grandparents, if that was what your children and grandchildren looked like and lived like. They're theological because they have God as their object. They aim our lives toward God. Like these are virtues that we should be aiming for. And we do this with other things. Some of you, especially as January 1st comes around, would like to get more fit like to trim down or get stronger or better in your cardiovascular shape, and what will you do? You will aim for that goal. You will strive for it. You will watch what you eat. You will exercise more. You will push yourself physically. You will train. You will have a target and go. You might get expert advice on those things. It will, it will be something you will strive for. You're aiming toward it. The same could be said if you're in school trying to finish a college degree, or you're in a trade school or a tech school, and you're trying to accomplish something. There's classes you need to take, and competencies you need to gain, and experience, and internship, and you're aiming for that, and you're, you're strategizing to reach that goal. Or even just for us as parents or grandparents with our children, a three-year-old may not be thinking about it, but you are strategizing of how to get them to the place where they can function well, that they go maybe to school or they learn 
how to read. How many times with your kids or grandkids do you sit there with a sound it out? Two of my kids, they would just like blur through words. Like, what is wrong with you kids? Sound, slow down. How many times did I say that? Slow down. Slow down. Focus. Look at the word. How many times? How many evenings? I was aiming for something that they could one day read well. And again, it wasn't that, it was just kind of implicit, isn't it? We aim for things. So too with these virtues. These virtues, though, by the way, are not a task that we have to do on our own. There is a beautiful text in 2 Peter verse 1 that describes how God, in a participatory way, joins us in this. In your notes, I, I think you have it there. If not, I'll read it to you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. I, I wanted you to see this beautiful text that explains the kind of work God is doing, the, the faith, hope, and love work that God is doing in every Christian. Peter explains this. His, meaning God's, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So here's how awesome God is. God doesn't just like, okay, here's your adoption papers. Have at it. Hope you have a good life. Like he literally gives us, like a parent to their child, everything that we need to pertain to life and godliness. Like God literally is a father that raises up his children. Peter goes on to say that granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that, listen to the end of verse 4, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's loaded language. Like that's got to be talking about the fact that when we become a Christian, we not just have access to the Father through the Son, we become united to Christ in a real and powerful way. Like Christ becomes something to which we belong. That's why a hundred times in the New Testament, the Bible says that you are in Christ. You are literally attached to Jesus. There's that participation. But more than that, not only are you attached to Jesus, but God attaches to you by the gift of his spirit. Again, that's just, that's kind of heavy and loaded and maybe even a bit confusing, but I think that's what Peter's talking about when he uses this language that we become partakers of the divine nature. It's not saying we become divine. It's just that we share in the life of God in the son and through the spirit. having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So then Peter says this in verse 5, for this very reason, like because you've been adopted by the Father, you are located in the Son, and you are dwelled with the Spirit, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. There's the word. There it is. Supplement it. Like these are things you're aiming for. That's what you're striving for. And he lists other things in virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's a lot there. There's this reality, though, that at the coming of Jesus, and as we believe in Christ by faith, that we have a connection to God in Christ through the Spirit that creates this dynamic where we are growing as God's children. But that's the virtues that we're supposed to pursue. So what does this have to do with Christmas? I believe that Christmas ministers to us by highly highlighting all three theological virtues of the Christian faith. Like Christmas reminds us of this truth. It directs us. It pastors us in this way. Let me explain. First, regarding faith. Christmas directs us to remember and celebrate the first coming of Christ. It wants us to pause. Literally, we take the month of December, the four weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, Christmas Eve. If you were here uh, just, on, just two days ago for Christmas Eve service, would, we gathered and we sang the Christmas songs for which we've been waiting during the Advent season. And it was fun to see people dressed up and families gathered together and, and singing songs about Christ's coming. We celebrated that. It is worth pausing and stopping and celebrating the coming of Christ. It's not just something we just want to blow past and get to the eggnog or the cider or the gifts. We want to pause and say, the purpose, the ground of this holy day is Jesus. Christmas directs us to remember Christ's coming, to remember our need of Christ. Maybe for some of us decades ago, maybe for others just months or a year or two, when we said, I need Jesus, when we first made Jesus the Savior of our life, when, when our sin was revealed to us, when we offered our sin to God and by his grace, he took it in full and said, I forgive you. And we had new life in Christ. Christmas is a time where we remember our own testimony. And that testimony started when the Father sent his Son into the world. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. That's our testimony. That's a Christmas verse of God sending his son into the world. That's how Christmas helps foster the virtue of faith. Never wants us to forget that it's by faith. Faith in the work and the person of Jesus. What about hope? Christmas doesn't just teach us to look back. It also pastors us to look forward to the second coming of Christ. We know that it's already, but not yet. And we never want to forget that not yet. We want to be realizing how quickly and how prevalent death is. It's not something we talk about at Christmas. But it's a reality. The very coming of Jesus was because of what? so that he could die. The very coming of Jesus was so that we could have life, and we long for him to come and renew all things. We want all cancer removed. We want all funerals to have their last day. We want all pain 
and all suffering and all loneliness and all divorce and every little orphan and every abortion and every murder and all pain, we want that gone. And there isn't one person in this room that isn't even now tasting some aspect of that pain and loss. Even over Christmas, you can feel some of the things that you the relationships that have been lost, the separations, the burdens, the brokenness, they reveal themselves. They don't just dissipate on Christmas Day. Sometimes they're magnified. And Christmas doesn't just look back to the first coming of Jesus. It looks forward to the second. It pastors us. It gives us hope. There's that virtue, that second virtue. Not just faith in Christ, but hope in the Christ and the King who is still to come. The last is love. Christmas is intended to deepen our understanding of God's love for us and exhort us to love others. You'll notice in verse 13, Paul says this, after listing these three, faith, hope, and love, he says, but the greatest of these is love. And like, wait a second, like faith's a pretty big deal, fair enough. Hope's a pretty big deal, fair enough. Why is love the greatest? Why is that the greatest of the three theological virtues of the Christian faith? Well, a couple reasons. One of these is this. At the second coming of Christ, faith and hope, guess what? They're fulfilled. When Christ returns, your hope has been met and achieved. Your faith, trusting in God's past promises for your current life and future promises for your life to come, they've been met. Faith and hope find fullness in Christ. But love, love always exists. Love is not fulfilled, but fully expanded and expressed. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Love defines our very existence. Love, therefore, never ends. It is the greatest of the three theological virtues because it is eternal, just as God is eternal. So what does that teach us about love? And how does Christmas relate to this? Christmas is way less about a Santa and way more about a Savior. And related to love, it's not about some sappy, jolly nature but actually about sacrifice. Again, if 1 Corinthians 13 depicts Jesus, what did you see in his love? Was it sappy? Mere emotionalism? It's sacrifice. Love is patient. That's sacrifice. Love is kind. That's self-giving. Love does not envy or boast. That removes love away from pride. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Sacrifice. It is not irritable or resentful. Sacrifice. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. Sacrifice is what I keep hearing and what Christ kept showing. So let's conclude our time by allowing Christmas 
to minister to us. Just as you sit there as we end our time, dwell on these few truths. First, this one. First is your faith. The Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not just to live for you, but to die for you. Let that minister, let that develop in you a faith in God. Second, the Son, Jesus, defeated sin and death and has promised to return and redeem all creation. Let that give you hope. Let that stir in you hope. And last, the Spirit applies the love of God to us and helps us increasingly love God and love others. You see how those three virtues fit Christmas beautifully? The Father sent His Son. That's love. That's, that's faith. The Son promised to return. That's hope. And the Spirit applies the love of God to us. That's the love that we have and show. Just bow your heads, would you, as we close. I'm going to pray that our Father would help us to grow in faith and hope and love this Christmas just as we live the life in Christ through the Spirit as children of the Father as He's given to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Jesus. We thank You for Christmas and His coming. We thank You for the Gospel that ministers to each of us. And Father, we ask that You would help us this Christmas remember these virtues, these traits, the symptoms of the Gospel, faith, hope, and love, and that they would mean more to us this year as we realize that Jesus emulated all of these, that God unites Himself to us and helps us live these out. Father, that Christmas would move away from a Santa and more toward a Savior, that Christmas would move away from what is sappy and would become loving sacrifice. And Father, that it would extend well beyond the Christmas season, that we would be known, men and women, even children, as people who reflect these Christian virtues of faith, of hope, and love. Father, stir these in us on this Lord's Day and on this Christmas season. And thank you that Jesus did it first, that we love because he first loved us. We have hope because he gave us hope, and we have faith because he gave us something to believe. Father, may that be true of us as we leave this place. Guide us now as we sing a song in response. May our hearts and our lips honor you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.